0: Latter-day Contemplation is a podcast hosted by two Latter-day Saints who have found great value in experiencing God through walking a path of contemplation. The views expressed herein are our own.
1: Hello and welcome to Latter-day Contemplation. We are your hosts, Riley Risto
0: and Christopher Hurtado.
1: Latter-day Contemplation started as an exploration of contemplative practices from many traditions to enhance our discipleship of Jesus Christ. We are by no means experts in the topics we discuss, But what we have is an openness to questions, a hunger to discover truth wherever we can find it, and a desire to share in the transformative life of inner peace. We love that you've joined us, and we hope that you find value in this community.
0: Well, welcome back, everyone. This is Christopher Hurtado, and I have with me, again, guest co-host Shiloh Logan, while Riley is still on vacation, a much-needed and well-deserved vacation for Riley. Welcome back, Shiloh.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm g- kind of glad that Riley's on vacation. I like sitting down and talking with you.
0: <laughs> it's been fun, hasn't it? It has. So we're going to talk about unconditional love. Oh, goodness. Can, yeah. Can God's love be called unconditional or not? That is the question.
1: Well, we're going <laughs> to open a can of worms today, aren't we?
0: <laughs> Let's do it. Let's open a can of worms.
1: Well, this is a really controversial topic. It it shouldn't be controversial, but it is. Yeah. This is a highly controversial topic. Yeah. What's up with that? Why is it so controversial?
0: Well, because if you say God loves everyone unconditionally, that means that you're a universalist and you think that there's no hell and there's no punishment for sinners. and, And we all know there has to be a hell and there has to be punishment for sinners, right? Isn't that the idea? Yeah, that's the idea, right? It, it's, it, it's really interesting what happens
1: once you posit divine unconditional love. What that does for theology and about how we view God. And it really does. It comes back again and again and again to that Thomas Merton quote that we've quoted so many times before. But it says that our view, I, our view and idea of God, no matter how perfect, Really tells us more about ourselves than about God. It's, it's, it's the projection. A good quote. It is. I, I love it. I quote, I quote it every chance I get. But it's really when we have a view of God, it's this idea that we always find the God we're looking for. And I really mean that how that sounds. The God we are looking for is the God that we find. If we're looking for a God that is vengeful, that is coming out and is only conditional, that really is more of a reflection of ourselves, and we're going to find that God that we're looking for. But if we're also looking for a God that is loving, that is merciful, unconditionally loving, we're also going to find that God too. And so the question is, is, what does it mean to find a God that's so seemingly contradictory? right?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm reminded after recording the last episode we recorded together on Blessed are Those Who Are Persecuted for Righteousness' Sake, where we talked about us persecuting ourselves, we could be merciful with ourselves, couldn't we?
1: Yeah. You know, it almost without exception, those who I've talked to who so firmly and adamantly argue for a conditionally loving God also view themselves as though they are only worth anything when they have proven themselves something to someone else. They don't love themselves unconditionally. They don't treat themselves that way. There is something there about themselves that they have to prove their worth to themselves. They have to prove that they are worthy of love to the world.
0: And so that love, or that worth, rather, is not intrinsic.
1: Right, right. And, and we talked a little bit last week about how we project that false self into the world, and then we kind of live into it. And so when we project into the world that we are only loved when we are worthy of it, when we've qualified for it, then that kind of becomes reinforcing. And what happens when we think of God— of a conditionally loving God. See, an unconditionally loving God is a God that is not controlled nor controls.
0: Let's unpack that a little bit.
1: All right. So when we have an unconditionally loving God, that means no matter what we do, God still loves us. And what that means is that no matter what I do, that does not affect what God is, that does not then inform God how God should treat me.
0: Or who he is. It really is about who he is. Right. He is loving.
1: Right. See, in in church culture, we have this idea that if we sin, we drive the spirit away. Right. Right. Or God doesn't dwell in unholy temples. You know, that's just something the scriptures talk about. And I don't have a problem with the scriptures say that, but the interpretation that we pull from it, I think has led us into into some not ideal fruit, as it were. Because when we talk in terms of like God does not dwell in unholy temples, in that way we kind of have a control over God. I get to control whether or not God has, is here or isn't here. I God actually responds to me; He reacts to me. In a sense, I can control who and what God does and who and what God loves by my actions. Right. So there's a control here. There's like an, there's an implicit subconscious control here about having, having control. And in our lives, whenever we don't have, whenever the more we seek for and defend a conditionally loving God, the more we reveal how out of control we actually feel in our own lives. Our emotional instability seeks to control the external world to equal how out of control we feel inside. So, we've all had those moments and we've all felt periods of time in our lives when we do feel totally out of control. And it's in these moments that we scramble to secure something, anything, with our frame and context. And it's in those moments of feeling out of control, if we ask ourselves, did we really, truly feel loved? In the moments when we feel out of control in our lives. Do we feel loved? You know, you and I, Christopher, have talked about this before. Uh, My wife came to me once and it floored me when she said, what in your life would you have done differently if you had always known, truly known, that you were always loved?
0: I remember when you asked me that question, and you may have put it in these terms, I think you said, you asked me, what would you do if you knew? And the first thing that occurred to me in you asking me that question is, in considering the question to answer it, I suddenly realized that I didn't know that, that I didn't, that I had not been acting as though that were true. And, and, And I also knew immediately that, wait, it is true. And why am I not acting like it's true? And boy, could I come up with some answers. You know, the things I could do. Yeah, that was powerful. I remember that experience. That was really powerful. What was that like for you? I I
1: went back and I started to analyze all of the traumatic experiences in my life. All of the choices that I made that led to, to bad fruit. And I realized going back to the beginning was I did not feel loved when I began to make those choices.
0: Hmm.
1: All right. And so where love is absent, or, or should I say, where our concept or feeling love is absent, that is when control is manifest. Because once we feel out of control it's because we don't feel we're not enveloped by the security and the the knowledge of god's love the minute we try to control something we're not feeling loved and those that seek to control the world around them the most have not learned to truly sit with god and to feel god's love it's a coping mechanism love is the cure to control so what in your life would you have done differently if you knew, truly knew, that you were always already loved?
0: Or what in your life would you do differently, now, if you knew that you were always already loved? These are powerful questions.
1: Yeah, I've had to sit with that a lot.
0: I'm glad you reminded me.
1: I'm always really grateful when I remember that (laughs) it's it's an
0: important question to remember.
1: It's, it's a memory that, and it's a question and this, it's one of my favorite questions that I've ever come across.
0: We tend to forget. We do. I think I need a tickler. I need to set a reminder for that question to come up in my, in my journal. You know, I use I use software for journaling and I think I can do that. That's it. That's not a bad idea.
1: Yeah. You know, I've I've come to love questions almost more than I love answers. Because and and really, really good questions.
0: Do you think that's our training as philosophers?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't I think know we're
0: if, already predisposed to it. That's how we got mixed up in philosophy in the first place. It
1: may have All been. Right? It may have been, but sitting with a really good question really just allows you. It almost reveals the answer itself. And I, I think that's the beauty of a of a good question, is it it just reveals this truth and this this knowledge and something, an answer that has always been there. It, it's it's like you, you've it's you've always known it, but it's coming to an awareness of it. And and for that for me is repentance. I bring this up all the time, repentance, seeing God differently, seeing ourselves differently, coming into an awareness of what always already is.
0: You know, that reminds me of a quote, Shiloh. Here's a quote that's fitting in the context of this episode and of this podcast, and it's a quote from Richard Feynman. He says, I would rather have questions that can't be answered than answers that can't be questioned. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that a great quote? Indeed.
1: Indeed. Indeed. So, you know, at least there's an elephant in the room here, though, is mm. the, the phrase unconditional love is a relatively new phrase. It doesn't appear in the scriptures. And this has That's been right. one of the biggest attacks against the idea of unconditional love in that the phrase itself does not appear in scripture. And it is a relatively new idea, but this is not really an argument because there there are many ideas in scriptures that the scriptures talk about and bring about and and bring out many truths that are not explicit and yet as we as civilization evolves and as we we take and we build upon each truth in the scriptures and as one generation comes to another we begin to reveal the truth between the lines
0: yeah we don't even have to say you know we can say well this idea comes from Eric Fromm, he he was an atheist, that may be. It may be that the idea comes from Eric Fromm, it may be that he was an atheist, but that's a straw man argument. The question is, is his idea of the love of a mother as unconditional a reality, a possibility, and does that apply in our conversation to to the, the kind of God that we do see in the scriptures, whether that term is used or not? Right.
1: You know, you know... So this, this phrase, unconditional love, is new. But there are so many scriptures that don't make any sense whatsoever unless it is true. Like, for instance, the entire Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> we can just throw the entire Sermon on the Mount out the window if, un- if the, the idea behind the phrase unconditional love is not true. For instance, loving our enemies makes absolutely no sense without the idea of unconditional love why is that because there's no reason the the, our enemy has given us no condition to love them that's what that's why we call them our enemy right that's what that's the very foundation for why we perceive them as an enemy it was because we see nothing uh, that we connect to the very idea of enemy You know, this goes back to our conversation last week with the Beatitudes. The very idea of enemy shows that we have not emptied, that we have projected an idea upon another person, that they are in the category of enemy. And so love is the way that we purge and that we become poor in spirit and we empty out our projection of enemy onto the other. Love is the thing that overcomes the pride of labeling them enemy when they were never our enemy to begin with.
0: Well, and you make a good point because in labeling someone else an enemy, we've just labeled our- ourselves an enemy, right? It's you're, you're creating this distinction between you and the other, and if they're an enemy to you, then you're an enemy to them. And so the real problem is enmity. That's the only true enemy that we have to deal with, and, and it's, you know... That's the struggle we have is to realize that, that enmity is our enemy. Yeah. No man is our enemy.
1: So one of the things that comes up, especially in, within the, the latter day context in talking about unconditional love is that there's a 2003 talk by, by then elder Nelson, but now president Nelson that talks about divine love. And he specifically addresses and comes against unconditional love. In fact, he says, quote, "...understanding that divine love and blessings are not truly unconditional can defend us against common fallacies such as these." Quote, "...since God's love is unconditional, He will love me regardless." Or, quote, "...since God is love, He will love me unconditionally regardless." These arguments are used by antichrists to woo people into deception. Nehor, for example, promoted himself by teaching falsehoods. He testified unto the people that all mankind should be saved at the last day, for the Lord had created all men, and in the end, all men should have eternal life. Sadly, some of the people believed Nehor's fallacious and unconditional concepts. Alright, so let's unfold this a little bit.
0: Yeah, let's see if we can figure out if we're modern-day Nihors here uh, <laughs> promoting ourselves or what's going on here.
1: Right. And, and I think in, if I were to sit down and actually talk, not that President Nelson would ever need or uh, there's no need for him to ever talk with me, but if I were to talk with him, based on so many other things that he's given, he's talked about, I think there's a lot of common ground here. So, for instance... In context, he's using unconditional love, and I think in a lot of ways we're we're equivocating on unconditional here.
0: Oh, absolutely. That There really is a fallacy here, and it really is, it may not be, it may not have been on his radar, but the real fallacy here is an equivocation, isn't it, between being saved in our sins, because the quotes that you gave, right, the quotes that you read from the talk, they say, regardless... And what does that? What does that regardless mean? Right. That regardless of what I do, I will be loved means somehow that I'll be saved. This was the doctrine of Nihor, right? That you will be saved no matter what. This is the universalism. This is there is no hell, and obviously there's a lot here to unpack.
1: Right. And there is a lot here to unpack. So, just as a way of example, I, I think any parent, any any healthy parent. Who's there healthy, and healthy and emotional with their children? Expi- expresses that unconditional love. No matter if my three-year-old doesn't listen to me or disobeys me, I don't suddenly hate them. I don't suddenly fall out of love with them. I don't suddenly be like I don't love you anymore. Their obedience to me is not conditional upon anything. It, it, it's just they are my child and I love them, and anything that just doesn't. Produce that needs to be addressed. Now, in the same thing is that there are certain behaviors in my home that we don't tolerate. You know, arguing, fighting; those are things that we, my wife and I, step in to actively address and to correct behaviors. But the fact is, is we step in to to correct behaviors because we love our children. It's because we step, we love our children that we step in and we want them to be happy, healthy adults. And so, as they are children, we are teaching them how to be in a family and how to be people in a broader society and culture, and how to deal with people and love people, even if they don't show that they have any reason to be loved. Love them anyway. Now, this doesn't mean. So, so then, then Elder Nelson uses this concept of unconditional love as a springboard into unconditional love leads to just saving everybody in their sin. Now, we've talked about this a lot. on, on uh, You and I have talked about it. I think you and Riley have talked about it. Ben and I with Come Follow Me have talked about it. But it's this idea that hell is a space reserved for people who think they belong there that we exist in our false self, the view of our self that is the natural man. And beneath the, the facade of the false self is the true self, the, the thing that God created in his own image and said that it was good. That's our true self. That's who we really are. It's full of light and intelligence. And the facade that we put off, the thing that has identity to political parties and group identities and everything that pulls us away from unity and being one in Christ.
0: And here's something that I think helps to identify the false self too, is it's that whatever it is that gets offended,
1: ooh,
0: the true self self isn't offended.
1: That's a good one. Yeah. So those things that cause us offense. Repentance, then, is really scraping away that false identity to let the true identity within us be revealed. It's for us to recognize who we always already are. That becoming, you know, in our our theology speak, we have this concept of becoming. And it's really kind of taken on a metaphysical value that we are one substance, that we're becoming another substance. And, And so there's a metaphysical change when i've come to realize that this is far more epistemic than metaphysic that becoming is 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 the peeling away of the false perception of ourselves to reveal this true creation of god that thing that god made in his own image that we really are
0: that we always already are right
1: and so it's in that way that god is not going to force our perceptions of one thing versus another every Every individual is an agent, has agency, and they're going to allow themselves to perceive whatever it is they want to perceive. And in the false self, we largely do see a conditionally loving God because we exist. I and mean, That's the entire reason for the Garden of Eden narrative. Adam and Eve ate from the tree of dualism. They ate from the tree of good and evil. They ate from the tree of this and that. So us living in our own fallen world post the tree of good and evil, of course, we live in a world of dualism where where we see these things in these ways, but yet, when we start to strip away the false self and the false epistemic layers of the dualistic world and we see that the reality really is one unified whole, it's not decompartmentalized into opposites. This is when we begin to recognize and realize that lo- the tree of life, the, the love and the fruit of God, is just the one singular fruit. It's just, it's just the singularity of our lives. And so, in Mormon thought, we have this idea of the three degrees of glory, right? This is one of those, those radical things that Joseph Smith reveals. That heaven is divided into three categories, and within those three categories are other categories, or subcategories. And yet, we talk about these spheres of existence largely as metaphysical distinctions. Like, like they're completely different metaphysical worlds. And we have this idea that the person in the celestial kingdom can come down to visit those in the lower kingdom, but those in the lower kingdom can't go up to visit those in the higher kingdom. And and we always have these questions as to why. And is highly problematic because there's a lot of injustice that looks like it, there's a lot of a lot of injustice that. Is brought about by looking at it this way however when when we kind of combined all of those three worlds into one world so there's just one metaphysical reality there's one place and instead of three kingdoms metaphysically in reality there's three kingdoms of of perception as it were epistemic kingdoms we begin to realize that the beatitude person who's walked the beatitude path, who's emptied and who is, who is now meek and belongs everywhere, suddenly the celestial person who is meek can go anywhere, terrestrial, celestial. he can go to any person and sit with them in whatever they choose to be. That the person who has been there with the beatitude and has followed the beatitude path can be the peacemaker to the celestial, can be a peacemaker to the terrestrial can be that peacemaker to the celestial. And so now this is an epistemic construct, not a metaphysical one. And so in this way, we look at unconditional love that I I agree with what Elder Nelson is saying in that God's love is not going to simply force people's view to be celestial, but it's God's unconditional love that keeps trying.
0: To persuade.
1: To persuade yeah
0: with love which really is just a roundabout saying a way of saying loves yeah god's god's love just loves god's love just is love is as love does we say <laughs> right right
1: you know there's a lot of other quotes and there's one one particular article that keeps on getting tossed around and shared whenever i've ever brought up um unconditional love on social media and it has a couple of quotes from the general authorities uh previous general authorities from years ago it has it has a quote from Brigham Young and from Lorenzo Snow and Joseph F Smith And and so I'll I'll read the one from Joseph F. Smith first. But he says, "This is how I look at the requirements which God has made upon His people, collectively and individually. And I do believe that I have no claim upon God or upon my brethren for blessing, favor, confidence, or love, unless by my works I prove that I am worthy thereof. And I never expect to receive blessings that I do not merit." This is a very American meritocracy, you know, kind of a meritocracy way of viewing God. It's a very quid pro quo.
0: And it's very much the way that uh, that evangelicals see Latter-day Saints, right? <laughs> right. The idea that, that we have, and you know, the shoe may fit, it, it may be that we see ourselves this way too, uh, this idea that that we earn our salvation through our works, rather than God's grace produces the transformation in us that that then those works, those good works come out of. Yes, they, they flow forth from freely from a transformed heart. and it's through grace that this happens. It's, it's through God's grace. It's grace all the way. it really is. It is. the works, are, the works really are a, they're a sign, you know, they're, they're a witness of the grace, of the transformation that has taking place through the grace and through the power of God working in us unto salvation.
1: Yeah, the the transformative view of God is that God brings grace and mercy and compassion and love to the undeserving. And it's the fact that he gave it to the undeserving and let that swell within them and the undeserving realizing they were undeserving then begin to act in the same grace and mercy and compassion and love for their fellow man. But one of the ideas that has been a very strong theme throughout a lot of Latter-day discourse and a lot of Latter-day belief, and it really does come from a lot of American Methodism and Calvinism and that introduction and that early influx into early church thought, is that grace is what happens after you've... Performed and that you've shown that you've, you've you're worthy of it. You've you've done enough things to be able to qualify for it, and then and then it's okay, and then it's sufficient. But it's not sufficient until you've you've performed it. And this is just compl- my own personal relationship with God. And my own experience with the divine is that God came for me in grace. When I did not deserve it, when I did not qualify for it, and I was actively working against it.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, we're all sinners, all of us. So if if we have to be somehow deserving of God's love, then none of us would qualify. No one could. Yeah. And so it really is a witness of God's love and his mercy that we see it every single time and that's every time that we that we that we experience that love that divine love that's always there as long as we're paying attention if we're not seeing it it's because we're not seeing it and that's just a, it really is a demonstration a revelation of who and what god is which is mercy love you know the arabic word for for love Excuse me, the Arabic word for mercy is related to the Arabic word for womb. Going back, it reminds me of Eric Fromm's idea, right? The idea that, that a mother's love is unconditional. I think he, he said that a father's love was conditional, but the, the love of mother was unconditional. When you're enveloped in God's love, this is a womb-like feeling, isn't it? I was going to ask you, actually, what is your experience of God's love, Shiloh?
1: You know, I would, have ans- I, I would have answered that question differently at different parts of my life. Earlier in my life, I, not knowing God's love, it would have been, it's this place of insecurity with not knowing if God is truly there, if God truly loves me. And so it is, I have to do all of these things in order to please God. And in doing, in doing those things, there's just, when you're doing good things, you have good good responses most of the time, right? This is not always the case. I quickly learned later in my life that sometimes we start to come into a place where we can't check enough boxes in the gospel to feel God's peace. And it's in those, those moments when the checklist and conditionally loving God failed. Then what? Then there was nothing. It, that was one of the that was one of the more darker times of my life. Mm-hmm. When realizing that I was checking all the boxes. I was doing all the things. I I deserved it. I qualified for it. That whole I the Lord God am bound when you do what I say, but if you do not what I say, you have no promise. I'm like I well, I said a lot of I said a lot of words to God. <laughs> In those I'm moments. doing
0: my part. You're not doing your part. God, I'm doing right? my part.
1: You're not doing your part. And it wasn't even one of those. It wasn't even one of those. I, I was carrying, you know, the, that, that footprints poem. It wasn't. It wasn't even. I was carrying you, when you only saw one footprint. It wasn't even that. Mm. It was just recognizing that that way of thinking had had. I was transitioning. Just my own being, my own psychology, my own way of coming and showing up to the world was transitioning. And it was really a moment, a metamorphosis for me when I just started to see the world differently. I'd had so many other life experiences where even though I had still kept on checking the boxes in my life, I was still saying my prayers, still reading my scriptures, still going to church, still doing my you know, I I've always been kind of a difficult home teacher. I haven't always been really good at that. But these particular times in my lives, man, I, I had that box checked. I was doing everything I could. If there was something that I was missing. Then God is an unreasonable God. Because in our lives, unless we are like, we have like a, a, a checklist of like 100 things to do every single day, and then and only then God's going to give us peace, that's really not a very good God. I mean, let me just be completely frank. If that's the kind of God that demands that you do these 100 things every single day, because then he'll give you the little treat of reward at the end and like affirmation, I'm like, okay, good job. That's just, that's not
0: we're back into this transactional god that we talk about yeah and as so opposed to the transformational one the one that actually again transforms us through his love through his mercy that works in us
1: yeah but it was it was through those times when finally kind of at my the end of my rope when i realized that nothing i was going to do was going to actually merit me anything because I was doing everything and no, there was no peace. There was no awe. There was no, there was, there really was nothing. And so it was like, is this it? I mean, is this it? All, all of these checks boxes. And this is, this is what I, this is what God has to show for it. I'm like, screw it. And I was like, I, I just, in your heart and in my heart, I was, I was like, I don't need any of it. And then it was in the places when I didn't, I started to look back on my life in the times when I did feel God the most. And it was ironically in all the moments when I wasn't checking the boxes, when I wasn't actually doing the things. And this doesn't mean don't do the things. It doesn't mean, right. and this is really where the conversation becomes so difficult within Mormon culture, because we, we live in such dualism as a culture, that it's either obey the commandments and God blesses you, or they think, then don't do the commandments and don't live the commandments and just think that God is going to bless you anyway. And that's the type of black and white dualistic thinking that most of the Mormon culture exists in.
0: And that's really what the Elder Nelson talk was dealing with, right? Is this idea of you can't just not do the things and expect God's love which again I think is an equivocation I think what where we could we can say that maybe you wouldn't be saved right but that doesn't mean that you wouldn't be loved and you wouldn't be you certainly wouldn't know that you were loved right you don't realize it's this is back to worth and worthiness the the episode that you and, and Riley recorded I can't remember what episode number that was and the conversation with uh, the person on Facebook that confronted you with the idea that if you would, what was it? If you would uh, rape someone, he would be already always worthy. Yeah. That's his question, right? And and you say yes. And, and the answer is yes. You would be worthy of God's love. Now, you obviously wouldn't, you must not realize that. Because if you realize that, then that's the that's the power of transformation that I'm talking about that would have you, you just wouldn't do that. right? Someone who, who knows their love doesn't. Th- this is hurt. That hurt people hurt people. You've heard that before, right? Oh, yeah, hurt completely. people hurt people. And so if you're loved and you know it, then you're, and you, and you know you're worthy, you already are worthy. That's the metaphysical reality of being made in the image of God, in God's own image, in imago dei you're already always worthy but if you don't realize it if your epistemology isn't in alignment with the reality of your metaphysics then well yeah that explains why why am i why do i keep saying you that explains why i keep doing these things right yeah it's be, it's because i don't know who i am forgive them father for they know not what they do that's my problem is i don't know who i am i don't truly know who i am who am i i'm a child of god made in his image, worthy, loved, blessed, and enveloped in mercy, in in the womb of mercy. That's the reality of my being. Now what's the reality of my thinking? That's different maybe. Now I've got to bring myself into alignment with reality and experience and allow myself to experience that love and I don't have to do anything, right? I don't have to check off all the boxes. Of course I'm going to do the things. God's love is going to transform me such that out of my transformed heart naturally flow these good works. But it's not the works. You, I mean, you you checked off all the boxes, you said, right? You did all the works, and you didn't get the love, right? You didn't get the God didn't hold up his end of the deal, so to speak, in this transactional God idea, right? Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's really where it begins to break for a lot of people. You mm-hmm. know, and you and I have talked about this privately, and I think we even recorded on this before is so many of these ideas of God are good until they're not.
0: Sure. There's, uh, there's a, it's, a, it's great to, to think, you know what, I'm not, I'm not being who I need to be. Right. So, and, and I've just said that, well, you are actually who you, because you are who you are. You're in the image of God. You're his son. You're his daughter. Right? But you think to, my, to yourself, I'm not being who I need to be, and you want to be better. And so you do these works. But, you know, that's maybe, that can maybe get you going, but it only gets you so far. It's not really how things work.
1: Yeah. You know, going back to the, the general authorities, and what they've said about uh, unconditional love, you know, from from the article that uh, I was reading from, <laughs> I'm I'm not going to tell anybody what the article is. They can go look for it. And they can they find it. Well, they find.
0: and and to clarify too, you know, these are some, and I know why you're pulling from the article. You said right that this is one that's quoted from by those who argue against God's unconditional love. There are plenty of general authorities expressing again maybe not in so many words any more than the scriptures do the the idea of god's unconditional love but the idea itself is there even in president nelson himself of course it is it always is and every once in a while you get these these talks these quotes that just get it wrong and i think we can say they get it wrong because it's in the context of all the other quotes and in in the context of, well, as you said, we'd have to throw out the, the Sermon on the Mount. The context of what is the core central teaching of Christ. Yeah. And 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 in who and in who and what he is and what he did for us, in his atonement and his aton- in his atoning sacrifice, we'd have to throw all that out. Why is he doing these things? Why is he teaching these things?
1: Yeah. You know, one thing I I really do love about these the the general authorities that they're they're on the page that I'm talking about that speak against unconditional love, they they always frame it in terms of their own opinion. Like the Joseph F. Smith quote that I just I just read from, he says, "This is how I look
0: at it." Right.
1: And there's another quote from Lorenzo Snow where he says, "I think this." Hmm. And so that really does show that they personally themselves are sh- are struggling with this particular way of viewing things and of course if god is an unconditionally loving merciful god guess what god is doing for lorenzo snow and joseph f smith he's right yeah. he's right there sitting with them
0: he's like let's let that just sink in a minute right because we've been saying this is an epistemic problem right so what does the quote say this is how i see it this is what i think yeah. These are epistemic terms. Yeah. They're not metaphysical terms. It's not about how things are. It's about how things are perceived by the, by the one who's doing the perceiving.
1: Right. And so when we go back to Elder Nelson's talk, what he's really getting at is that God is not going to save man in his sin. He's not going to save man in the sin where they perceive one thing and God's going to force them to perceive another, that God's love is going to then just overcome And force them, because that's the only thing, that's the only option when it's an epistemic reality. It's not like God's going to take, because if it was a metaphysical distinction, like we talked about before, then God can like pick this person up and put them from one state that they are into another state, right? And God doesn't do, and and we can say God doesn't want to do that because we as a church say, well, because they would be uncomfortable. Well, why would they be uncomfortable? Because they perceive
0: that. Well and what about agency? If we take agency seriously, this takes us all the way back to the beginning of the conversation, right? Then then that can't be either. Right. Because it's not how we it's not how we see ourselves. That's our choice. Believing is a choice. That's something powerful that I've that I've been thinking about lately. You know, the idea that believing is a choice. And so it's our choice. It's up to us. It's within our agency, whether we choose to believe or whether we choose not to believe. And so we are taught who we are. Our our religion teaches us that. We can choose to believe it or not. We can believe Christ when he says who he is and, and what his relationship to us is and what his love for us is and God's love for us or not. And God's, not, and God's going to respect that choice. And he's going to continue to love us and continue to... If we could think of this you know, as, as the Sufis actually do in terms of God as, as the beloved, right? Where you have Sufis writing love poetry, where God is the beloved. He's going to continue to court us in his love until he gets what he wants, which is, which is that love to be reciprocated, to be fully accepted, and for it to flow then back from us to him. We're not loving ourselves, we're not loving God, because we think he doesn't love us because of who we are or what we're doing or not doing. And all of that is within the realm of our own perception and within the realm of our own choice. And we have got to become new creatures. We have to be able to see ourselves for who and what we are. Again, become new creatures doesn't mean have a metaphysical transformation but have a change of heart
1: yeah you know something you said reminded me of dnc uh section one verse 16 the lord is saying they seek not the lord to establish his righteousness but every man walketh in his own way after the image of his own god whose image is in the likeness of the world and who are they well everyone
0: all of us (laughs) Yeah, because we read scriptures like this and we think, well, that's them, not us. When we should be asking, Lord, is it I? I
1: love that. I love that question.
0: That's another good one.
1: Certainly not him.
0: We can always get something out of that question, can't we? We need to add that to the... I've got to put that in my software, in my journaling software, to have it ask me that question. For me to ask myself, Lord, is it I? And to actually write from that prompt what would you get from that boy? Yeah. That's a good one. That is a good one. Such good questions. What would I do if I knew God loved me? Lord, is it I? Great questions.
1: You know, if you get on, it's no longer LDS.org. Now it's church of Jesus Christ.org. But if you do type in LDS.org, it does transfer you.
0: I still do that too. I do.
1: It's faster. <laughs> it's faster. Even though, you know,
0: I think if we would just type it a couple of ways in the new way, you as long as your 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 browser, you don't have to do any extra work, but type CH, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know it would
1: populate it. But it's if a force you, of habit. but if you get in, if you get on there and if you type unconditional love, okay, you're gonna find a bunch of resources. You're gonna have M. Russell Ballard's talk comes up where he talks about unconditional love. Elder Stevenson has a, has a talk of unconditional love. They're not talking specifically about it, but they, qu- they actually say unconditional love. In fact, there's, <laughs> President Oaks, as legalistic as he is, says the ability to help or to correct followers on the relationship established by, is established by unconditional love.
0: I mean, you would think if anybody would try to make a, a logical case against unconditional love, it might be Oakes, right? And in, in some sort of legalistic, logical way of thinking.
1: If there was going to be uh, a, legi- yeah, a legal, logical way of being able to completely come against unconditional love, it would be President Oakes. But his statement, the ability to help or to correct follows on the relationship established by unconditional love. Unless there is unconditional love, there is no ability truly in a Christ-like manner to help or to correct.
0: What's your sense, Shiloh? Because we we talk about this question that we can ask when we record the Come Follow Me podcast, you know, when I have guest co-hosted with you, you and Ben have asked the question. Ben is the one who really brought it up, right? What is the question that brought about this revelation? What is, and as philosophers, we know that anyone, any philosopher puts pen to paper, there's a question, there's an issue that's being addressed, right? Why do you think President Nelson, then Elder Nelson, wrote this talk? What do you think he's really getting at?
1: I think he's getting at the idea that because he talks about Nehor, right, and right. I, I think the general authorities are in a very impossible situation. Um,
0: wait, are they in a double bind?
1: A double bind? That's
0: our, yeah, that's our whole life, isn't it? <laughs> from 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 Adam and Eve in the garden uh, until now, right? It's, right. it's all these double binds, and especially in family, right? The idea of, now, we want you to, to be yourself, but make sure you stay within these bounds, right? We have these rules. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's, there you are in the double bind.
1: I mean, in, there's, a, there's a talk that he gives in April 1985, where he talks about unconditional love in a positive way. He's telling a story, and, he, and he's talking about this, this woman. He says, she has served as an officer in school, but most significant is her guileless spirit and her unconditional love.
0: Well, no that's hers, not God's right
1: right but we're still talking about it as a virtue right, right. If, if, yes. we're ta- if we're if we're going to take
0: his so she has unconditional love, but God doesn't right
1: right and so if we're going to take yeah. his later talk against God's unconditional love, he's obviously equivocating here and and so this is a this is a a thing we need to unpack because he's getting very much at this concept of saying, if God just loved us and let us do anything. And if God just loved us and 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 didn't help us anywhere, if God loved us and he just and and whatever was was, um, that's not how I raise my that's not how I raise my children. I I teach my children what will bring them happiness and what won't bring them happiness. I don't feed them a beer at night, right? I don't just like, hey, it doesn't really matter what you do. Here's a beer. I don't I don't go out and I'm like, hey, this is how you do drugs. This is the, like, the, I don't get them into drugs. Um. I I teach my children morals. I teach them principles. You know, that whole Joseph Smith, you teach them correct principles and you let them govern themselves. But the whole thing there is that, do we love them and simply let them do whatever they want? Does God's love let us stay in our false self? No, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to show us the path of the Christ that overcomes our perception of enemy that that truly shows unconditional love but it's the the the, the path of the christ right and yeah. and that's and that's not what his talk is getting at um uh, his talk against unconditional love his talk is is trying to show us that God's love, the divine love that he calls divine love, he's he's trying to—really hard to make this distinction that his divine love is trying to save his children. And in our case, it's that epistemic problem of our choosing to see what we truly always are versus the false self. God does not—God loves us more than to let us stay in the false self— God does not recognize the false self. God would not love us if he recognized the false self and gave any legitimacy to it.
0: You know, I've had my dark nights of the soul too, Shiloh. And I think maybe I might even even be harder on myself than your idea of God. My idea of God may be harder on me than your idea of God. Because I tell you, either in my experience without going in any kind of order. You know, just I, I've had the experience of, and and you've mentioned this too, right? That there's there's just no way that I deserve this love that I feel. This love that is clear, that is present, that is mine, that is God's love for me. And so for me it's either been that or I, I didn't even have the experience of, okay, I've I've done all the things and now where's the love, right? It it was either that or it's it, It's either that that love that is unconditional that it's present, or I'm just completely shut off to it because I have I'm persecuting myself, right, as going back to last week's episode, and I'm just completely closed off to it, and again, that's epistemological. The love is there. God is always as I've said before on the other side of the door that we put between God and us, because he doesn't put a door between us, knocking. All I have to do is open the door, the one that I put up. Why not tear down the door? Why do we talk about opening the door? Let's tear down the door. <laughs> can we just get rid of the door? Why are we putting a door? Uh, because, and then he doesn't have to knock. He can just come in. We're the ones that put up that door, that barrier between us and God. And thats I know I've done that. I know I've done that. I know, and I know from the, because I've experienced God's love and I know that I don't deserve it, that there's no deserving it. It just is.
1: You know, I've heard most of my life from a lot of, uh, a lot of friends anyway, th- throughout my life have talked about how they, when, when they've had serious sins in their lives, as, as, they, they, as they've deemed sins, comes that lie that you can never be forgiven. Right. right. That's never been my experience. I've never once ever had that experience of truly ever feeling like I can never be forgiven. Uh, Even as a child, I always knew I could be forgiven by God. It was something innate within me. And knowing that I could be forgiven, um, that sounds glorious, doesn't it? Um, To always know that you could be forgiven.
0: Well, you know, some, and this is maybe what president nelson was addressing you know some might think that this is a license
1: there that's that's what right? i'm getting at
0: <laughs> okay that's Keep my going.
1: that's my thing <laughs> is i know i can be forgiven so i'm like woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> let's just do this stuff <laughs> we can be forgiven on the back end right,
0: right. and so, so so what would you say to that
1: well, I think that's, when I was talking about they're in an impossible situation, I, I I think that has something to do with it. Right. Because if if you come out with a message of saying God is God is just unconditional, he loves you regardless of whatever you do, then th- there comes this this way that those who are struggling, who really need to be kind of, th- their feet need to be held to the fire. Because in their lives, you know, th- there's just things going on in their lives.
0: Now, I know you don't mean they need to pay penance. No, 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 no. They do need to repent, which is not the same thing, right? Yeah, it's... So let's unpack that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it's... You know, know, people like myself who know they can be forgiven, or just if if the narrative is, well, if you can always be forgiven, then so what? Just do whatever you want to do. God's going to forgive you. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that attitude is the false self. Mm. That attitude shows that they've never truly been in love with God.
0: I like the way you said that. That, That's like the Sufi, right? In love with God.
1: Right. Because that attitude of God's going to forgive me, I can do whatever I want, is one that has never been brought into the awe of God because once you're brought into the awe of God, you know you can never let God down. You know you can never disappoint God. You know that you can never be brought to a place where God is ever angry or, or or vengeful or wrathful towards you. And you will do everything. But the thing is, is you love God so much because you you've experienced how much God loves you. And all you can do at that point is just to step into the awe and to live in the awe and that then manifest itself in all of the good works, as it were. But then you turn around and you realize that you have never, ever, you could spend a thousand lifetimes of perfection and never once qualify for the amount of awe and grace and love and compassion that God has given, and that it was had nothing to do with you. And it's in that moment then the awe and the love and the grace of God are what motivates you into quote unquote obedience and love. And it's love, because love is the grand motivator. But for those who have not experienced love yet, and all they stand in is the false self, and they stand in the false self like I have, when they say, oh, I can be forgiven of anything. Let's go out and party, right? You know, this is why I think it's an impossible situation for them, because they have to address that person as well, who's never experienced God, and, is never, and, and they, they've never fallen into love with God. And they've never truly felt God in love with them. And so in that way, there is, it's, it's like the saying, you're going down a dangerous path because you're living in the false self and you don't even know it. You think you're standing there in the love of God and the false and, and, and the, surety, the surety of God's forgiveness. But that surety that you think you have of God's forgiveness is leading you in, out, of, out of the way of coming into love of God. I think I said that correctly. I'm, <laughs> am, know, I, am I making yeah, I sense?
0: Mean, of course. Yeah. You know, I can think of, again, back to my mother and, and her. And, you know, if, if you think about your mother's love, when I think about my own mother, I, of course I knew she loved me unconditionally. Of course she would forgive me. And, and I probably, not probably, I know I did things that, that were wrong, that I knew I was doing wrong because I knew she would forgive me in the end. And you just want to get away with, your, with whatever you want to get away with, right? I wanted to get away with it. And, and then there comes that moment when you realize that's not the way that you treat someone you love, you you love her because she loves you and you just can't and you, you can think of your, your wife too, right? Of course your wife loves you, of course she's going to forgive you. Does that mean you're going to now go and intentionally hurt her because she'll forgive you? No, of course not. You love her. And so you realize, man, I just you know, you, you realize the selfishness of it, right? The 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 false self having its way and you repent and you see yourself in right relationship this is what's meant by righteousness right to be in right relationship with your mother and with god and you just want to you want to bring things back into the right relationship and so you repent you you, you see things in the way that they really are and and you stop doing these things right the, the, that would disappoint your mother, that would hurt her, that, I, I mean, I know I did. And, and of course, you you make the same mistake again, and your mother still loves you, and God loves you the same way. And how How lucky are we to have that love, that love that, as you've pointed out, there is just no way that we can earn and that is freely given by our mothers, by our spouses, by our, by God, our Creator, who's full of mercy and compassion and love toward us. What a blessing. What joy. Yeah. What awe it really is to think about that, isn't it? It really is. Boy, I miss my mom. You know, I think our mother's love teaches us about God's love, doesn't it? Maybe Eric From was onto something. Whether he was whether he was an atheist or not, whether the Bible says anything about quote unquote unconditional love or not, maybe he was onto something. I think so. Well, Shall it's been a pleasure having we, having you with me again, on the podcast co-hosting, substituting for Riley. We, I appreciate you doing this.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me on again.
0: And uh, for everyone listening, again, I'm Christopher Hurtado.
1: I'm Shiloh Logan.
0: Thank you, and have a great week.